Peace be to you. In the Cabin B. Let us begin with a question. Hi everyone and welcome to Curiously Catholic, the Evangelion podcast. In this podcast, we're going to be picking the brains of Catholic enthusiasts to try to get to the bottom of how to live truly as a Catholic in contemporary times. My name is Dominic Malgeri and in this podcast we have Jacob Imam. Welcome, Jacob. Hey, thanks so much for having me. It's good to be with you. Now, thanks for taking the time with us. Um, so, uh, to dive straight in, uh, I discovered you through Matt Fred's podcast, but then I also discovered that through that you uh, are part of a think tank called New Polity. So, just to introduce yourself, uh, can you tell us a bit about yourself and a bit about New Polity? Sure. Um, I am uh, married with a child, a second on the way. We live in Steubenville, Ohio, so right smack dab in the middle of the Rust Belt uh, of the U.S., so that's where all the mills and the mines once were and no longer are. Uh, So we're surrounded by a good bit of uh, poverty, a city that needs to be revitalized. Um, And we have this think tank, uh, New Polity, that's dedicated to figuring out what the kingdom of God actually is and how to uh, bring it into this world. So we think that Christ founded a real kingdom, that he's uh, truly a king, that there, uh, as a result of this, that there is a way that we are supposed to live differently, subject to subject, and uh, and to uh, and we're dedicated to figuring out what that is, and then to uh, not just be all talking and, and no game, and but to implement it into our lives. So that's what we're doing here in Steubenville. Cool, 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 cool. Anyway, uh, so yeah. You're based in Steubenville, uh, which is, it seems to me, from all the way over here in New Zealand, that that's kind of like the haven of Catholicism. You've got people like Matt Frad, Scott Hahn, you've got the um, Franciscan University, uh, and it seems to be like there's a lot going on there, but you're just saying it's quite a, a poor area. Do you think the two are linked that, like, um, because it's a poor area, it's able for um, Catholicism to thrive a bit more? Oh, no doubt. I mean, the fact of the matter is that when you don't have all these other idols tempting you away from Christ, then he's all you got, you know, mm. and then all your friends are all you got. Yeah, yeah. What more is there to the kingdom of God other than that? What is the common good if it's not just a whole bunch of friends? That's really I think, cool. I think, it, I think it's intricate to the success of, of any Christian polity. I think you have to be poor, actually. I don't yeah. think you can be rich. Yeah. Right, yeah. And so you're now uh, living in this Catholic haven. You're part of a Catholic think tank. Um, how did you come to Catholicism? Were you born a Catholic or did you convert later in life? I, I came in later in life like so many did. I was uh, raised in between, uh, well, in what, what do they call it, a mixed household with a Muslim father and an evangelical mother and um, and so naturally, I became a Catholic. <laughs> now that sounds like quite an intense mix. It's like a Muslim father and an evangelical mother. It's like, it's like, do, how does that even work? I mean, in your yeah, household, it's all was it... law on one side, and then it's all feel on the other. All <laughs> oh, right. Okay. So, like, how was it growing up in that environment? Was did what was your concept of God like? Oh, I, you know what? I don't know. I suppose that I, um, I thought that the 
classical myths were probably most likely for a while. Um, they were arbitrary. They were tyrannical. They were self-interested. Um, I thought that obviously there's multiple, you know, that sort of thing. Um, you know, you know, obviously a good, good Catholic will say, well, of course there's multiple. I mean, that's, that's what all the angels and demons are, you know, or, or other spiritual beings that have serious power. So, um, so maybe I was on, on the right track with that in, in a certain regard, but, uh, to not realize that there was one that truly was transcendent and all good. was, uh, what I lacked. So anyways, it was, but it was primarily through a, a deep conviction of my sin that led me to Catholicism. Um, I realized that there was something uh, atrocious that I uh, have done, that I am doing, that I'm living in, that the structures, I really thought that like the structures of our entire society um, were built up by sin and I um, wanted to get out. And so I turn to my father's faith first. And though there are laws and regulations and a way of living in accordance with the divine, there is not within Islam a, a profound concept of forgiveness. Um, there's just a command to do better, try harder, but no assurance into the divine life uh, that really brings you away from sin in its totality. Um, and, and so I looked at my mother's faith in turn and saw that there was an answer in Jesus Christ not a really fulfilling one, I have to say, but a convincing one. Um, and and so it was not until I was presented with the with the tradition of the church that I saw ah this this actually is perfectly compelling. Um, and and I see you know just what the, what the Protestants are kind of grasping at when they say that that Christ really does come to cleanse us. There's actually a way of understanding that you know like a real means of doing so and a person behind all of it. And that the that the Catholic tradition uh, reveals to the world. Yeah, um, I'm also a convert to the faith. I came into the church when I was 22, and one of the one of my friends um, asked me. She said she'd been a Catholic her whole life, and she just said she couldn't see how you could get from not being Catholic to becoming a Catholic. Like, what is the way in? Because she couldn't see any way because obviously, like, she'd been brought up in a whole Catholic environment. It's like you have to be you have to know what's going on to be on the inside. Um, so what was it that was there a person or a book or something? What, what brought you say from, so you, you realized that maybe Christianity is the way. And then from there you're like, okay, there's a lot more meaning in Catholicism. What was that uh, moment? Yeah, I think that within Protestantism, it was just epistemologically ruinous. You know, there was no way of knowing for sure that you're interpreting the Bible correctly. There was, uh, just, you had to presume arrogance. There was no way around it. Um, even most well-meaning, you have to presume a level of self-confidence that I just was not willing to presume. And uh, and I think even probably even more than that, you know, I really did fall in love with Christ um, as a Protestant. And you know, when I was bouncing around this church, and I I really wanted to see His face more clearly. And the more, more you know, you kind of think about this. The more that you know about somebody, the more you're able to love them. The more that you know your wife, you, there's just more reasons to love her. Mm. And I wanted more reasons to love Christ, to be able to know him more intimately. And uh, and within Protestantism, it's it's really lacking. I mean, people are still debating about, like, when to baptize your kid. It's like, give me a break. Are you serious? Like, mm. that's 101. 
you know, and, and I felt that as a Protestant. I was like, how can we not have this answered? Like we are, we are not able to love Christ as well. There has, but I knew it couldn't be right. I knew that he loved us more than we loved him. And so he wouldn't put that sort of barrier uh, mm -hmm. between him and us. There must have been something that he did. And there is something that he did. He gave us the Catholic church mm. and uh, that was, that was it. That was it. That's what I needed. That's really cool. That's really, really cool. Um, so, like you said, your your think tank is um, called New Polity. Um, what's the purpose of your think tank? What kind of topics do you typically um, think about, I guess? Yeah, well, we think that Christ really came in to usher a new order. Um, you find that what the Gospels are, in a nutshell, is a continual attack against Caesar and his cronies. The whole thing is to demolish the way in which Caesar pagan gods, the way of sin, the structures of sin, uh, set, sets up the world. And Christ comes after that with a big club. And he smashes it all up and teaches us a new way of living. But I think most of us would agree that we're living in a post-Christian culture today. And, uh, and that means that we're in the same place as before. We're in the same place before that like a new paganism is arising. A new new way of uh, a new order, a new pagan order has arisen. That is what we're living in. And so once again, we have to come back and say, what did the early church discover? What did the medievals, in a sense, perfect or get close to perfecting and uh, closer than anybody else in history? And what can we learn from them and how can we implement them? And so that's what we're doing. That's so, so cool. hit the, main, the main pillars of our society, politics, law, uh, money, finance, technology, and now gender. So those are, those are the oh, things yeah, yeah, we yeah. spend a lot of time talking about. Yeah, it's really interesting because uh, I guess like I, at the beginning of the year, I was thinking about, especially with like, uh, we've been going through this world of COVID with all these different restrictions and lockdowns. And yeah. um, one thing that really struck me when we were in our last bout of a, um, a lockdown was how um in the book of acts and um, that's the first i guess kind of like the first example <clears throat> of living without jesus so uh the apostles walked with jesus for three years they could ask him any question they could uh, you know get his opinion on things get counsel from him and then he ascended into heaven and all of a sudden they're on their own and we're kind of like um with you know mass being you know restricted we know you're not you're not allowed to go into churches to receive the eucharist you're not allowed to get the sacraments through um going to church we've kind of in that situation again where we've had jesus taken away from us except this time it's not through his own doing and so i was thinking yeah we maybe we can return to the ways of the book of acts um but like obviously it was a very different world then it's like is is there any, is there anything we can like gain from the acts of the apostles and that we can implement today would you say uh, interesting question. Um, sure, of course there is. Um, I think that the, well, let's hit the generals and then we'll get down to some specifics, I suppose. But what you find is that there is a, 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 um, a source and reason for bravery that you don't have in any other point in history. Um, that there is a, a way of, of seeing the uh, the masculinity of the apostles going off and, and fighting uh, fighting evil and with the force of truth and 
but also doing so while recalling the lilies um, to be able to actually dwell upon the things that that the promises of God, realizing that he loves to give good gifts and um, and to usher that in. I think that we'll never be able to defeat our, our post-Christian age until we've actually you know, been able to defeat fear with love. There's just no way that we're ever going to be able to be truly Christian unless we actually put away with anxiety. That's why Christ tells us, you know, 365 times, do not fear all throughout the gospel or God as a whole. So, I mean, I guess I would start with that, you know, but you find parts of, of Acts that are just riveting, you know, with, with, the, with the kings of this earth who are trying to suppress the expansion of the gospel. Uh, people think that Herod is a god at one point and then he's eaten up by worms and whatever. Uh, I mean, these are, these are you know, uh, answers to prayer that begin uh, to happen. And meanwhile, you have the, the true rulers of the world, the apostles themselves, who do end up governing the entire world um, as those who are um, always willing to die. You know, they, they provide the, the, the first vision of martyrdom. And I just don't think you can also be a Christian if you're not willing to be a martyr. I just don't, you know, we are all called a martyrdom in some regard. Some of us actually get the, you know, the uh, the glory of being a red martyr and, and dying. But if you're not dying to self every day, then, you know, forget it. Choose a different religion. This one's not for you. <laughs> but yeah. I, yeah, definitely. I agree with you. But, um, I guess you point on like the, the anxiety and fear and as I was reflecting yes. on what we're going to talk about this episode, I was like, I think that's one of the things that struck me is like how we're in a bit of a, we've got a bit of an issue. My well, big issue is that we are born into this culture in this society. Uh, we go to school, we go to work, you know, we go all through the education system and then we go through the work system. So we've got, you know, primary, secondary, tertiary institutions, and then maybe even further education. And, you know, we've got all these attacks from us. Then we've got like things, TV, maybe podcasts you listen to, just the politics of the world. Um, all these things are influencing us. And then when we have a moment to take our eye off all of that and to have a look at Catholicism, we're like, okay, that's the way I should be. But like, it's a massive change. It's terrifying to like say, okay, I've, I've got to be, I've got to be completely contrary to everything that I've been brought up into. Um, so like how do we i guess how do we start um emboldening ourselves to start being more catholic and where how where we start in being like more catholic uh, i guess culturally well i think you have to just start jumping off the cliff you know and and that's about it you know i really don't think that they're because you're talking about emboldening yourself you're not talking about just you know starting off and creating a new Christian order? How do you even find like the motivation within your soul <laughs> to do it? And uh, honestly, like that's just not really up to us. That's, that's just a gift of mm. uh, faith, hope and charity, right? You know, and, and hope leads the other two. So you have to jump off the cliff and hope that hope is guiding the other two. That's mm. how it works. Mm. So I think that when you um, come to something like you take your investments, for instance, you know, I don't know what it's like in New Zealand, but in America, everybody's invested up to their eyeballs. And uh, and that's just a completely pagan system. 
Like, I don't think there's any any Catholic that could, using the principles of the church, uh, use the secondary market as a means by which to uh, make investments. Um, it, it's just, I, you know, I'll take, I'll go toe-to-toe with anybody that wants to debate back, but, and that's something worth, you know, talking about. And I think that's like a debate, an argument worth, worth having, things that we've forgotten from our tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, when it comes time and you've realized that our tradition really does teach something like that, um, or that in particular, then what are you going to do? I mean, you're, you're kind of stuck, you know, hoping that the intellectual conviction gets you across the line. And some days you just have to, you know, you know, click all and then hit, hit sell and, you know, live, live with the lilies, you know, and, but I don't really think, I think that once you've done it once and you think, wow, goodness, I didn't die. You know, my family's still going to be okay. I'm still going to be okay. That gives you the courage and more than anything, the courage that really does stem from confidence in God. God who is a loving father, God who does like to give good gifts. Yeah. To yeah. be able to keep going, to keep doing it. Yeah, yeah. Like I th- I think the 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 topic of like um investing our money and stuff is is really interesting because it's like it's such a core principle. I mean, personally, investing my money's only really com- become an idea that I've recently thought about <clears throat> with uh, like the the rise of Bitcoin and stuff, but I don't really know enough about to to really have a conversation about that yet. But um, it did get me thinking about like how do we spend our money? How do we use our money? Because I think yeah. um, often we're, we're quite passive um, to uh, to how we live our life. It's like okay, but again, th- this comes back into the the, the bigger system. Is like the, the system that we're in is I have to work to make money. I have to work for somebody else to make money, and therefore I'm going to have to work in a way that they want me to work in order to make money. And I feel like that kind of removes us from like a more catholic way of life where i mean ideally i mean mum stays at home with the kids dad goes back at work and you can afford a house and you can afford to live it's like how do we remove ourselves from that system without losing everything is it just a case of just go for it and hope for the best or um no, I mean, there are some prudential moves. I think in particular, we have created such a strong infrastructure of uh, of a new, you know, cultural order that it's really hard to remove yourself from it. I mean, I might be able to, you know, make some good arguments that the internet is uh, something that would not be in the kingdom of God, but I can't get out of it, you know. Right. I, like right now, I'm pretty much stuck. Um, similarly, I think that the modern banking system is just a fraudulent system and, but I can't not have a bank account. Um, mm. it's too many guards up in society that prevent me from just keeping all my cash under my bed or even not even having cash, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you can, you can keep going. And so we're going to have to play the role of a hypocrite for a while, I think. And that's just, you know, what happens, but um, you know, at the same time, what you did find in the early church is that Christians just moved out of town and they started living together and they tried to be self-sufficient on their own apart from the order that uh, the Caesars set up for them. So I, I, I'm very, um, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I, I think that that is, that is part of the option. That's part of, you know, kind of the reason why my family and I moved to a place like Steubenville and, um, <clears throat> But I, but I do think that, 
you know, given the saturation of, um, of the, of our technopoly age, um, it's going to be really hard to extricate yourself from, um, from the system. And we are just going to have to, uh, pray that, that God delivers our children or our children's children away from the hypocrisy that we're, Mm. um, we're kind of engaged in and, uh, and for mercy along the way, I think it's not necess- not in all case- occasions, especially ones that you are stuck in, um, imputing sin to your soul. Um, but it is a constant um, occasion for sin, I think, in many ways. So, mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Guard against Living in, like, potential sin. Oh, man. So I guess, would you say there, one of the solutions is starting a Catholic commune, um, just finding a, a town that's not really well populated and just populating it and just making it Catholic. Yeah, I, I suppose I'm, I'm very hesitant to um, all these different groups and there's many of them in them in America. And I'm sure there's some in your area too, uh, with people like having these intentional communities mm. where there's going to be like a rule to follow and stuff. And I just think, gosh, that is so strange. I don't want to be a part of that. Um, I think that's, you know, what quickly leads to cultish activity. I think that's what uh, leads to people forgetting the the way of the New Testament. They like they revert back into the Old Testament with a law and everything. And I understand there's a place for law. Uh, But when you try and set up, you know, utopia here on earth, I mean, you're going to that doesn't include law, man. You know, that's when Christ grows into your soul and into your heart, when the law is written on your heart and you're living out of it. And so that's what, you know, what we're trying to do instead here is uh, just have an organic community, just try and convince our neighbors to, you know, get rid of their smartphones, to start walking a bit more than driving, mm. buying local, starting the farm, building your own stuff, relying on people and on friends instead of money. Um, you know, that's, I think that's why we moved here is where you could actually get to know people and have real conversations and, to uh, convince somebody interpersonally of, of greater faith in Christ or just faith in Christ, you know, yeah. and to have our neighbors evangelize us. Yeah. We need that. I mean, I, I think that. I've heard, I mean, I think what's so like, I think, uh, you've, you've made a really good distinction of like the idea of creating a Catholic community isn't let's create a like a almost a religious order this is our way of life if you live in this community you have to abide by these rules <clears throat> it's literally just moving house and being catholic there and trying to get as many other catholics there to just living there doing their jobs going about their business every day so it's not about okay we have to be have an intentional community it's about living authentic catholicism in a place where it's that, in a place that isn't too like infected with this contemporary society is is that more what you were trying to say oh sure yeah i think i mean we have huge limitations when living in cities uh, just because the cost of living is so bloody high mm. um, it makes it impossible to be able to do anything other than spend your time making money and then spending money to make money and, and that's just not a, a way in which Christ himself even lived. I mean, he's never found with a coin on him. Uh, rather, it was the betrayer Judas who, who did. And so if we're stuck in the grind, and many people are, and I just pity, I pity them. I really do. I mean, they, and some of them are really stuck. They're genuinely stuck. There's not a way out if you're going to continue to live there. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I just think that that's the point where we have to say, well, can I just live in a place where I don't have to be caught in this rat race 
Yeah, and, yeah. And um, once you're once you're out, then you actually have a bit more freedom yeah. to be able to do what you ought, which is what you're supposed to do with freedom. You know, yeah. to take is a necessary condition to uh, to seek the good, as the tradition teaches us, and that's why it's so important. Um, and uh, so if we if we can get to that point where we're freely making these decisions again for the good, then I think we're on track of, of starting something to, uh, to praise God with. Yeah. Talking about uh, cost of living and house prices, you've definitely hit a few nerves of people living in Auckland because uh, I think Auckland's like in the top five most expensive places to live in the world. Uh, and we're in... Oh, man. Jeez. Yeah, yeah it's, pretty, it's, it's pretty horrendous. Um, but... Yeah, so like again, that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> but like, so yeah. hypothetically, say we do, um, we do have the opportunity. We find we found a town where there's like uh, no Starbucks, no McDonald's, you know, no massive corporations, <laughs> and we manage to move there. We still have to have that authentic Catholicism before we get there. So I guess for the people that are maybe stuck in the big cities, running the rat race, how do we? Is there any tips you can give us on how to um, form like a Catholic culture within our, ourselves, within our homes, within whatever remnants of community we can muster? Um, is there is there anything that we should be focusing on or getting rid of our life, getting rid out of our lives? Do you think? Yeah. Well, I mean. It- it's tough because, you know, I'll, I'll give a straight answer. But again, I just want to reiterate that some people just are stuck in their in the ways, you know, of, of the city and they don't have a, a choice out of it or, you know, with their jobs. Maybe somebody like has to have a smartphone for their for their job and they're just stuck. But, you know, I think that's, you know, the place to start is, you know, I think you need to uh, start to all the places where you're relying on somebody else that you do not know for your livelihood or your uh, entertainment or for your success in some way you got to start to get rid of that and start replacing it with people that you do know Mm. you know so a big thing that we talk about is you got to get rid of your 401ks well i don't know what it is down there but your retirement funds and i think i don't in australia you're not even allowed to do that i'm not sure what it's like Mm. you know for you for you kiwis but uh it might be the same and and for that case it's just it's just really too bad because what god set up this you know the world so that we would be taken care of as babies that we would take care of others as adults and then when we became old we would be taken care of again and that helps prepare us to die well we need the humility to be taken care of um, by by those that we once took care um mm. you know right you know change the diapers you know those are the those are uh, it's kind of our last push into holiness you know is that that marvelous humility at the end of everyone's life but as long as you can work you have to work because you got to be working for the common good mm. you know there's there's nothing else other than than that that we're that we're called to so anyways uh, to to hit back on that point what about your entertainment are you entertained by netflix or by mm. like guitar that you play well switch cancel the netflix you don't need it you know what about like hyped up amount of data on your phone or, or like all the games on your phone? Get rid of that phone, you know, spend time with, with your family instead. Mm. It's amazing how addictive those freaking things are. Even if you are good at putting it away, you don't want to be part of the larger uh, group, the larger community, the larger culture that is actually allowing for things like phones to become necessary for other people. 
if you're able to get rid of your your smartphone, you should, so that other people uh, might have that chance of, of escaping in the future. I think, uh, you know, for, uh, geez, I think, you know, going to your local farmer and actually becoming friends with him is, is a huge thing. If you're stuck in the city, you probably don't know a farmer, though. So, you, you know, you don't really have that chance. Uh, but, you know, as many people as make things around town for us, we try and, you know, purchase it from them instead of from, you know, our, our chain grocery stores and stuff like that. And you do this for multiple reasons. A big one being that locality is is attached etymologically with love for a reason. And it's like you actually can love the people that you know personally, but you just can't do that. You really cannot love those that you do not know personally. Um, you might have goodwill for some ethereal notion of the, you know, person trying to, you know, for the for the guy that's producing your coffee or something like that. I don't know, but there's no way that it's not the same as saying like, nope, Dave roasts coffee. I'm going to buy from Dave. It will give Dave stability at the end of the day. What do I really want with life? I want a great family. I want good friends and I got to make sure that they stay in town, you know, so I'm going to mm. buy, buy my coffee. So like, that's cool. Uh, a, a few issues that, um, I guess not, not that I have with it, but like a, that, practicalities that come to my mind was you're yeah. saying that it's like i think everything you're saying is brilliant we should definitely do it but first off how would i get people to watch my podcast if they don't have a smartphone um <laughs> it's a really good podcast you should follow uh, but also more seriously um i think nowadays i feel like especially with like social media and all like all the devices and stuff we're in like the era of the introvert and so me being an extrovert, the idea of, you know, going to my local farmer and st starting up a friendship sounds fantastic. I'll go and do it. Well, I'm in the city, so there's no local farmer. But, like, um, it sounds great. But, like, if I said that to my wife or a few friends of mine that are introverts, they'd be like, I'm not going to talk to anyone that I don't know. It needs to be a long process. So, like, I can see a lot of anxiety in that. And do you think that's something that if we got rid of all the tech would slowly uh, disseminate? Um, and then finally, um, the idea, I, I love the idea of buying locally. The problem is, again, it comes back to the money. Uh, often yeah. buying locally costs, costs more. And if, you know, you're in that rat race of, I need to work to live, um, or I need yeah. to work, you know, how do we, how, <laughs> you know, um, yeah, no, those are two great questions. I definitely think that the tech thing is 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 sapping our energy. It's not giving it to us. And I think anybody that um, is honest with themselves and think back on how they spend days will, will realize that too. Um, being with people, you know, even if you are an introvert, more introvertedly inclined, it is, uh, you know, you can't really be straight with yourself and say that you don't like people. <laughs> you live to be with people still. Mm. Um, now developing friendships, you know, takes some work, you know, and there's, I'm just, I'm not going to make a, you know, why would I ever make an appeal saying that's not true? I think it is hard. Um, and, and especially when it's unnatural, um, there's, uh, it becomes harder. I think that like, it's like, it's inorganic. Like you're, you're intentionally going to meet a farmer go out of the way and say, I'm going to start to ask this guy questions, figure out who he is. Uh, you know, that's, you know, could even be weird, uh, you know? And I think that's a great thing about being in a, in a city where 
people have relocated in order to be able to never have to relocate again, you know, mm. because everybody's trying to find a friend, um, people to rely on and, and people to rely on them. Uh, so I, I, so I don't, I don't want to make that sound easier. You know, so I won't defend it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think for the, in terms of the higher cost of, um, I think this is the, the way to think about it is primarily like, okay, you got option for milk. You can buy a liter of milk for th uh, three bucks or for five, three bucks comes from the big corporate farm. That's, you know, 70 miles outside of town or 200 miles outside of town or 400 miles outside of town, not even close to you. Uh, or it's just your buddy who's right next door and has a cow that milks and you pay a bit more for that. What, at that point, what you're doing is you're paying for your friend to stay. You know, mm. you're paying that, that they're able to pay their bills. And uh, and so instead of having like a consumer surplus, you know, mentality, we need to have kind of a friendship surplus mentality. It's like, mm. no, I'm going, to, I'm going to spend more. Why? Because I want Dave to stay in the town or I want whoever to stay in the town. I think that's just, a, you know, that's just a, our mentality that has to be, you know, we... Saint John Paul II said that the economy should should be modeled on the family, and that means that you're sacrificing. Sure, there's a division of labor. Sure, that there's you know different jobs and roles that people have to play. And um, but at the end of the day, it's it's a community bound in love, and that's in in money for not using our money to get to heaven and to get other people to heaven, and using that prim like having that primary disposition. Then then we're using money wrong. Man, yeah, it's it's this is it's like uh, I I guess I've always known that Catholicism is a big ask, but like as we're talking about now, it's like man, this is a big ask. <laughs> but it's, it's funny because yeah, like, yeah, no, it's it's not for the faint of heart, you know. That's why Christ <laughs> talked about picking up a cross, not a pinwheel, right? So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's like, like this, like what do um, skeptics say? They say like uh Christianity is just a crutch. It's like, yeah, the crutch is on our back. <laughs> it's like, we got to carry this crutch. It's hard. <laughs> um, but yeah, I loved, I loved like, ah, oh man, it's just like, again, the, the idea of it all, it sounds so great. And I, I know like amongst my friends, whenever we're like hanging out, I was like, hey, should we just go buy a plot of land and build like six houses on it and just mm -hmm. all live there? And it's like, yeah. Anyway, so what are you doing tonight? <laughs> it's like, it's one of those pipe dreams. It seems so unfeasible. I actually have right. a friend that bought 50 acres and he's got deer and he's got a forest and, uh, oh, you know, he's built two or three houses on there for his family. I'm like, he keeps on saying to me, hey, there's 10 acres next door. And I was like, 10 acres next door to 50 acres is 60 acres away from you, bro. <laughs> it's like, I would be on my own. <laughs> um, That's a short one. But like, I guess, uh, as you were saying, um, I, I have so many more questions, but I, I want to keep this going. Um, as you were saying, this has been done before. Um, yeah. uh, you mentioned in uh, when you were talking to Matt about like Christendom. But I guess a question that I've had in my heart for a while, and I, I feel like you're the right person to ask you, is like, Christianity transformed the world. Um, pro like, pre-Christian world compared to life after Christ. Like, things that we just take for, for granted now, like the value of children, is, is a Christian concept. And I was wondering if you could help me answer the questions, like, how did Christianity transform the world? <clears throat> No, you can't. 
too many ways. Too many ways. Um, I think the biggest thing is that Christianity was the only religion in human history that ever said we're, we're going to pick up the lowly. You don't find that in paganism. You don't find that in any of the other world religions. It's always the powerful that are, uh, that society should be oriented towards. Um, you find all of these various letters and declarations going back from the call from the provinces to Caesar saying, we are going to divinize you more. It's like, whoa, that is completely the backwards mentality. Now we have this sort of servant leadership mentality all throughout our culture. And that only came from Christianity. Um, it did not come from anybody else. The idea of looking around, I mean, just the fact that you could look around at every ancient society and find human sacrifice and child sacrifice, and then that all being destroyed and demolished by Christianity, speaks to that very fact. The fact that uh, Aristotle and his ethics uh, did not only uh, not include humility in his list of virtues, but considered it a vice, uh, suggests a considerable amount that we are supposed to do as Christ did and not treat with equality of God something to be grasped at. Um, and that is that changes everything. I think that really changes everything. The fact that the king in, uh, in medieval society is not supposed to be working for himself, but for working for others in, on a very practical basis is, again, speaks volumes. It wasn't like he was asking for taxes every year. Um, that actually didn't, didn't happen. He had his own productive property that he himself was working. I mean, that's that's extraordinary. It's not the it's not the fat cat sitting on the throne having everybody else do his bidding. He was not allowed. He was not permitted to just call for taxes uh, whenever he wanted. Those had to be justified. Uh, similarly, he couldn't just you know coin new coins whenever he wanted or or to devalue them, which is <laughs> happening all the time all over the world today. Which is just a way of having the big cats spend extra money. He didn't even have a standing army. I mean, that's huge. You think, can you imagine that? You feel like you're completely unprotected without a standing army. We even have tiny standing armies called police forces today. And we think that society could never operate without them. Well, right now, I don't think society could operate without them. Uh, but, but we got to a place in the sacramental kingdoms that Christianity set up that really could not have functioned without grace. It's not possible to, for them to ever have been created without grace, um, where, where we got to that point, you know? And so we were able to, at a larger scale, have universities, have hospitals, institutions that never existed in human history prior to this um, point. And, uh, you know, and to continue on um, the, the importance of a festival and leisure in, in a way that, again, um, brought to the uh, brought up the lowly the fact that you just never had a welfare state or never needed a welfare state um, was extraordinary that you know when the welfare state arrived was at the protestant reformation when king henry you know seized all of the 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 king's or all the church's land and all of a sudden the church was had all this extra land that they were just handing out to the, the peasantry each year and that they were able to then work dignify their own labor and then provide you know, for themselves. And then of course there were some beggars and alms were given, but you never really had homeless. That just didn't exist. Um, but as soon as you take away pro productive property from people as, as the tyrant King Henry VIII did, 
all of a sudden you have to have a welfare state to, to you know, be able to deal with that. Um, you know, that hadn't been seen since pagan antiquity. So I just think that, you know, we've, we created so much with a Christian culture and we've lost it all again. We got it. This is, this is our duty to refine it. So it seems that like uh, humans just keep getting in the way of this good uh, uh, Christian society. <laughs> so just Henry VIII just decided to change everything just because he wanted to seize the church and this guy got all this stuff, I guess, give it away. But like... Um, it doesn't happen in a vacuum, but sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. totally. What I see what you're saying, yeah. Do you think um, so? Do you think we can create this like that, like pre-welfare state society again today? Because, like, I mean, I guess I've grown up my whole life in some with some sort of welfare or like um, social structures within the community, like it be it like free healthcare or there's a mm-hmm. benefit yeah. or something like that. So, like. The idea for me is like take that away. It's like okay, now no one can afford healthcare or <laughs> afford to live. So that's my my initial reaction. It's like okay, so we we can't do that. So, well, I of get, course we can't. Yeah. So I guess what's the yeah. is there is there a first step? Um, what is the first step? Yeah, yeah, the first step is always to convert to actually become you know real Christians that can be able to take care of your neighbor. Same things like what I mentioned with the with the police. It's like we are you serious if like we take away the police right now we're all it's just going to be all chaos it's not going to work um but that doesn't mean that that's not our goal i mean when saint justin martyr is writing the caesar he says that you are afraid of us christians because you are becoming superfluous i mean that's so what does he mean by that he's saying that we are actually culting these societies built on virtue where we are taking care of one another where we can self-police, where we doing, and which is now what the, the church is calling subsidiarity, you know, where things are taken care of at the lowest possible level and orienting everything for the lowest possible level. You don't need, you don't need a state to come in and, and you know, set the order for a city that it's never seen. Or whatever. Mm. Uh, this is, this is, you know, fundamentally different. So St. Justin Martyr writes this to, to Caesar in the same way that um, Origen writes it to the Celsus. Um, Caesar does become superfluous at a certain point, but we can't get rid of Caesar until he is. Mm-hmm. That's so. Are you saying like the the solution is uh, within our communities and our friends um, and people we know, or even just our neighbors? We need to fill the gaps that they can't fill, so to speak. Like what I'm thinking of is. Um, one thing I always hear is like having children is so expensive and that's why people say, oh, I'm not going to have kids until I'm financially stable. So, cause it's so expensive. But one thing I experienced with our first child is the second our parish community found out we were having a kid, my mother-in-law's garage was filled with children's clothes and things that people want to get rid of. And so yes. for the first, I don't know, maybe year, we didn't actually spend any money on raising our child because we just had so much stuff um is is it is it a case like that but like for 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 other things of like um someone's not got a lot of food or isn't making bills so it's like okay guys let's come together and sort that out so then the state doesn't have to get involved kind of thing is that what we're absolutely absolutely yeah and that happens and so what you know a lot of us do around here is we just kind of keep a you know our own personal savings account 
but we deplete it not just for us, but for our neighbors when, when the time need comes. And, uh, you know, we save it back up or we don't, or if we none of us have a savings account at that time, we just chip out of what we're earning at that point and just take care of your neighbors. But yeah, what else are you going to do with your life? You know? Yeah, I guess. Yeah. It was, you know, what else are you going to do with your money? It's just going to sit there and just go to Netflix. Um, <laughs> well, or it goes to your retirement, and at which point you're always thinking about the future and you're worried because you're not really sure what that's going to look like or what you're going to want at that time. You don't want to limit yourself. And maybe everybody always thinks about, you know, what if you get a really bad disease that's going to cost tens of thousands of dollars because then they never factor in insurance or maybe they did and they think the insurance company is going to drop them at the last second. You know, there's there's an endless number of worries that are, you know, perfectly legitimate. Mm. Some of them are legitimate, <laughs> but a lot of it's perfectly legitimate. But none of them are Christian worries, you know. And, and so and you should, if you don't, yeah, go for it. Are you saying we shouldn't have insurance? Uh, that's not what I'm saying. That's a completely okay. different argument. But I, I might argue that too. Yeah, so. <laughs> because uh, yeah, because I, 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 I can. I, I, yeah. I mean, I think ready again, there's, I think we've created a world where insurance is necessary, um, where, where there's just not enough of us to be able to, um, pay the bills of when a real disaster does come about. Um, uh, so my example before is like, nobody's depending upon insurance when they're thinking about saving for the future. I've seen this just thousands of times, realistically hundreds of times, uh, where people just don't factor that in and said, but you're paying for insurance every, every month. And, um, and sure enough, disasters come and it always takes care of them, you know, and, and I, there's there's just a bit of irrationality when it comes to it. That's what I was trying to say before. Um, but but I do think that there are certain forms of insurance that are um, unjustified and again, just are like part of the fear mongering, sadly, that that our well marketed world is telling us, convincing us to mm. uh, and a lot of people believe it sincerely who sell it, you know. Mm-hmm. I've had some really interesting conversations with insurance salesmen on the phone before. Uh, <laughs> but, I'd, uh, I'd love to listen into those conversations. Yeah. Um, so, like, I guess the whole thing we're talking about is, like, how do we live well together opposed to how do we live... Because I feel like we live in a society, but to that almost, is, that almost seems abstract. It's like, oh, yeah, and a society is just this area where people happen to dwell... Whereas um, we're not called to dwell in the same space, but to live together um, and create communities. And through that creating of community and getting to know everyone around you, it fills in the gaps that at the moment the state is is, is doing. Um, so... Or the market, I would say the market, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so like how how do we build community in this, in this current world? Because they're like, you know, I've talked to a few people about community and people are like, oh, does that mean I have to start like doing room bookings and ordering pizzas and finding content to entertain people for an evening so that we yeah. can all get together and we can call ourselves a community? Um, yeah, I mean, I've said many times that I'm not interested at all in building Christian community. I just think <laughs> it is so lame, you know, if what community means, and I think it does for most people, is just a friend group, then, you know, you can go off and bowl, do bowling or whatever, and that's just great. But I don't really think that that's what Christ called us to. He didn't say, I, I'm, I'm calling you to my communities amongst you, my, but he said my kingdoms amongst you. Um, and, uh, 
And so that doesn't happen outside of the home that happens within it and emerges from it. That's mm-hmm. what everything, you know, his kingdom is, is of love, um, which is not a, a sentimental idea. It's actually the most powerful thing that actually could, could ever be because it draws you to one another in a personal way forever, rather than from just power relationships of employer employee or money where it literally happens instantaneous and is over. Um, it lasts forever and then you're bound to it. Um, this is, uh, that is truly a kingdom without end. So how do you build it? Man, I, I really don't know. Uh, you know, it happens naturally, it happens through prayer. It happens through uh, seeing a problem, just taking it on yourself and fixing it. I think the liturgical calendar helps us a lot, you know, within the church, um, you know, for every feast day of the uh, evangelists, of the four evangelists, why not just, you know, ask your pastor if you can read out the entire book all day long from the pulpit, and then everybody goes to have a party afterwards. Um, you know, why not on St. Michael's feast day have a huge pinata that everybody, all the kids in the neighborhood uh, smacks down, a pinata of, of, of the devil that you, you smack down, or why not on St. Martin's feast day going out and doing the traditional thing of lighting lanterns and singing hymns um, while, while circumambulating your, your, your neighborhood. I mean, these are just the things that we can start to do together that are outside your home that, you know, really starts to um, reorder your life. Say, mm. um, I say that, uh, you know, in, in England, it was great. You know, we had, the bishops were pretty, um, you know, clear that we had to eat fish on Friday. And so we just all would. You know, those are things that do just bind you together. It sets a new habit, sets a new order, makes you feel weird, makes you feel good. Mm-hmm. You know, those are, you know, I don't think we're really going to be Catholics again until we realize that we're just really different. And some of those uh, following the liturgical calendar enables us to do so really well. Mm-hmm. Don't take down your Christmas tree on the, on the 26th of December, you know, celebrate all 12 days, you know, remember Christmas tide. Uh, these are the things that, that we really got to do. And I think that has to be, um, one of the first starting places, I think, raising your kid um, to know that he, she, they will take care of you um, uh, in their in in your old age. That, that's why you have children is that they need to be able to, uh, you know, to 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 lead into the common good. I mean, the Pieta is you know is the symbol of the good mother, um, right? With de- with a dead Christ on the knees of the Virgin Mary. Why do you have kids? You give you have kids so that they might self-sacrifice themselves for the kingdom. Um, that is that is a that is the end of every good parent. You know mm. the goal, the joy of every parent, um, and and part of that is actually preparing them to take care of you because guess what? You're part of the common good as well, and um, and get rid of of your savings that you were otherwise going to, you know, use to play golf every day when you turn seventy two or whatever. I mean, that's, that's just not the life of a Christian. Um, we're called to something much more. You might say there's nothing wrong with playing golf. And, and there's hard to say that there's really so much wrong with, with most things in, in life, you know, that, what, that distract us from Christ. Um, but we're, we are called to so much more. Hmm. I suppose it's a case of uh, looking, not just looking at what is good, but looking at what is great. So golf's good, yeah, sure. But what, what is great? What, what, what is great mm-hmm. is being Christian in your community and bringing other people to Christ through that. Um, yeah, that's true. But every, every act, I mean, the church teaches us this, that every act is, is morally loaded. There is no morally neutral act. 
you know, you could say, well, what about just like walking the field? You know, what, what's wrong with that? You say, yeah, but you could be walking on the field to murder somebody at the other side of it. Or you could be walking in the field praying your rosary. You know, the church doesn't actually let us squirm out of that one. That one's tough, you know, mm-hmm. and I don't like, like thinking about that all the time, you know. Yeah. But <laughs> um, but those are some of the questions, you know, and it doesn't doesn't drive scrupulous. I hope it doesn't drive scrupulosity when people hear it. But we do need to cultivate a greater self-awareness to see where, where we're still pagans. And uh, to see what parts of our souls Christ still is trying to convert, you know, and I feel super blessed to live in a place like Steubenville where questions like that are made more easy. But it's man, it sure is, you know, still such a work in progress. And I feel like I have all the help, you know, I could ever wish for living in a place like this. Yeah, yeah. And I, so think, I, I, I think it's cool, like you were saying, like having those little festivals where you, like St. Michael's Day, you beat a pinata that's that's beating the devil and lighting lanterns yeah. and singing hymns. And I think it made me, it made me think of uh, like those are little things you can do that like anyone would find enjoyment now. You don't have to be Christian. If people like, like I remember before I was Christian, I, my friends would invite me to their church and I, I like going because I enjoy singing and having a cup of tea and some biscuits. So it was, it was a good, it was a, it was, it was a, it was a Protestant church. So it was majority singing as well. And so we, I enjoyed going um because i enjoy singing um and i thought about how you know even mcdonald's was affected by this because they did they brought up the fillet of fish because there was a catholic like town and they weren't going to mcdonald's on on fridays because it was uh to eat fish so then long story short they they brought the fillet of fish in and it's like i think imagine you know i'm just thinking like on on my street and i think from what you're saying i'm i'm, I'm feeling like we need to be st- start focusing less out there like okay the catholics are over there and over there and over there it's like actually i'm right here and there might not be catholics around me but there's people around me and so Mm. i need to focus on my on my neighborhood rather than on like my friendship group or my you know town or city Uh, i need to be like okay here i am and i'm only really going to my circle of influence is my neighbors and it's like how can we do things that would that are catholic um because i was just imagining like you know imagine going around mm-hmm. my cul-de-sac with my kids singing with lanterns on st martin's day everyone's like hey that's cute what are you guys doing is that all oh, this is the thing we do and it's like okay i'll go in christmas car- caroling or something it's like that's cute okay let's all get involved so yeah i, I guess yes. sorry what were you gonna say Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think, again, we're, we're particularly blessed and, you know, my, you know, I think God just knew that my soul needed extra help to be in a place where we didn't have anything in town. And so it's not like people are getting in our way or you yeah, know, there's yeah, like yeah. big distractions of, of, uh, of companies or whatever else um, that is, that's really kind of setting us off course. There are still those things, but just not in the, to the degree of, I've found it in other cities that I've, I've lived in and, um, so that's just not a kind of a consideration on my radar, but, but you're totally right to bring it up. Mm. Yeah. Cause yeah, I'm, I'm, kind of, I'm trying to think of like, okay, how can we apply this to, um, like the, the, the individual? Um, because I think sometimes we can get a bit too in our heads and be like, okay, I know all this information, but like, how does that work into my life? Um, yeah. So I've got, uh, I could, again, I could, I've got so many more questions that I I want to ask, but we actually have people that have 
given me questions to ask you um when they heard that we were talking to jacob imam everyone was went crazy and they wanted to talk to you so we've got uh, a few questions um that i'd like to bring up uh first off a friend of mine uh peter uh was um talking uh, heard about your talking about investments and apparently you are very good at investments or were very good at investments and you once passed up a an opportunity to earn a lot of money through investments because it wasn't morally right and the mm. question they're having is like well wouldn't it be better for you to have that money than for someone else to have that money because someone else is going to do that someone else is going to take that money it's like couldn't i just take that money and just give it to church all of a sudden the church has all this money and it's a good thing yeah and one parishioner who's just not as good <laughs> i mean i really think that's part of you know the the, the structure of the answer uh, look, St. Paul says that we should not do ill, that good might come from it. You know, that's what we later we call consequentialism. We can't do things just based upon their consequences um, because we're really not in control of those. Um, we're just in control of, of trying to, uh, you know, live in accordance with virtue. And then I have, a you know, hopefully a better soul to present to my church, but I don't know. I hope that's true. Um I think as it, as it pertains to the to investments, like that was something um, I'm not against investing specifically. I guess I shouldn't mention that I'm against investing on the secondary market, what people call the stock market. Okay. Um, and I, um, uh, and I am, I mean, I just, along with the tradition, I just don't think you can buy something. St. John Chrysostom says this, St. Thomas Aquinas says this, that you can't buy something just to sell it later for more money without doing anything to it. Um, you know, that, that is a telltale sign of greed, they say. And, um, and I had that sign written over my entire body. I was pretty much tattooed in it, man. So uh -huh. I, uh, you know, so that was just kind of a, I, you know, there's many occasions where, you know, I've, I've We've done very, I mean, I just, I did very well in the market for a long time, but you know, that was just a moment of, um, greater clarity for me. Mm. And, and so why. for people like myself that haven't even thought about the word investment until Bitcoin came along, what, what, what is, what is good investment? What's bad investment? Yeah. Well, I think the, the answer of that comes right from centesimus annus, which is, um, John Paul II's. Um, encyclical letter on the hundredth anniversary of um, uh, Pope Leo the Thirteenth's encyclical Rerum Novarum, uh, that really started to punch uh, capitalism and socialism right in the teeth, and said, "This is just not what uh, the Church is about." Either of these things, and so there was there's quite a number of encyclicals that came out uh, on the anniversaries, on the decade anniversary as of the of the Rerum Novarum. And, uh, and and because obviously the economy changes, um, and and with lightning speed, you know, in recent years, the new financial uh, tools and techniques that we have, and so more of those are addressed, and you know, on a wider scale. Well, John Paul II, anyways, that's too much of an introduction. John Paul II uh, brings up this problem of investing, and he says what is the point of investing and he gives us a very straightforward answer uh, it's in order to dignify the labor of our neighbor that's the point that's why we invest okay so that's like what you were saying about going to your friend dave who sells milk 
So you, you you're investing in him by by buying his milk. Is that what you're talking about, or? Well, you could. I mean, I just call that a purchase. But like you know, Dave Dave is working a crappy job at Amazon. Say, you know, he's he's just one of the cogs in the machine, boxing, you know, thirty boxes a minute, and uh, and he needs to have a better job. Well, he's really good at roasting coffee. So how about I give him the startup capital to start off that business? Um, no, no, that's, that's more like it. Um, and that's trying to dignify my buddy's labor. That's what John Paul II says is what we're supposed to do. Now, if you have money to invest, you are, by definition, you have, you have excessive funds. So you got to be careful with this as well. Um, the, the, the traditional is also pretty clear, again, that, you know, if you don't work for something, you shouldn't claim it. I mean, it's even in the Bible when St. Saint, Saint Paul says, he who does not work shall not eat. You know, and he's not talking about the lazy bum on the street. Most people read it that way. It's actually these spots. He's talking about the busybodies, the guys going around doing a whole bunch of unproductive labor all day and then claiming the rights to profits. Um, that's that's what he's talking about there. I mean, you can read that in Second Thessalonians three. Um, and so we so the one thing that we got to be careful about is also helping our friends doing good, productive labor for our investments. Um, that's captured in in this uh, as well. Saint Thomas Aquinas talks about the the relationship between the investor and the merchant um, as as forming a societas, which in medieval Latin was referred to a, a joint action, so something that you do together, um, and was also used more euphemistically to refer to the conjugal act. Um, so it's not like you're forming a company which is a legal entity on its own. Um, that's a really important point, I think, because all, if you do have what is kind of metaphorically considered, I mean, if we're talking, if we're being, if we're thinking really hard about this, a uh, company is just a metaphor for just a whole bunch of people having a joint action. But to give that itself a legal entity, uh, I understand perfectly well why people did it. But, uh, but that is actually living into the metaphor as if that was real and not abstract. Um, what's actually going on is a whole bunch of people working together. So, so, um, so within investments, that's what you find in the tradition is that you were supposed to be dignifying your, your friend's labor with uh, excessive funds that you have. And sometimes John Paul II actually specifies this too, even out of funds that are necessary for your living. Like we should make sacrifices to dignify our neighbor's labor. Um, and, uh, and so that's, um, that's, that's obviously a completely radically different vision of, um, of investing to today or putting, stocking your way money in Bitcoin and getting a ginormous return to be able to spend money that doesn't actually represent anything that we did to increase value in society. Um, you know, these are things that I think that I obviously was, was far on the other side of this argument, uh, when I converted and. Um, and so I definitely know the objections more, even more existentially that people might be having uh, <laughs> rather than even just intellectually. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't want to pass over any of these things. Um, conversion is hard. Conversion is real. But mm -hmm. uh, but but this is one of those things that the church is, um, I think, has, has been very, very explicit on. So. Mm. Um we we've hit the hour mark are you, are you happy to uh, stay on for a bit longer you've got somewhere to be or are you 
bit knackered or anything. Yeah, I'll, I'll have a hard stop in a, about 15 minutes, but I'm happy to t keep talking okay, until then. Cool, thank you very much. Okay, well, we've got a few questions here from a friend of mine uh, who follows New Polity quite a lot. Uh, big fan of it, uh, Reuven. And he says, um, what is the current economic or social system we are under? What are its main characteristics and problems? Yeah, great question. That's a really great question. Um, what is the current economic system that we are under? What are its questions and its problems? Well, we're not completely capitalist, is the, <laughs> is, is the, is the truth of the matter. Um, but we're not socialists either. So, <laughs> so it's uh, some people have talk, talked about the, the system that we're in is, is called technophily. I think I mentioned that word, you know, a little while ago. Um, and, and that is um, a system in which uh, systems and mechanisms are defining our order of life beyond, uh, for the sake of continual growth, beyond the control of any one person. So I think that's probably a, a fair enough description of, of where we're at. But though I might have to sit back and think about that a little bit more and give a better title to it. And we'll talk about it, you know, over at New Polity. So Ruben, thanks for the question. Um, but I, I really do think that, you know, we've created a, a total um, mechanism that nobody can really control. Mm. Um, and it's not like we're all the capitalists of the 19th century or something where we can point at the factory that we own and all the laborers that are in it or that the elites can, sorry, um, and say, look, we've, uh, you know, that's my factory. Because when you own a stock or something like that, which is the majority of the financial assets that, um, or, or considerable portion of the financial assets that the elites are holding, it's hard for them to be able to see what is being owned exactly, seeing that stockholders don't have um, creative control over the companies, that they don't have um, rights to the profits of those companies. Some pay dividends, but, you know, not all do. Um, and, uh, and you really can't ever use assets in a different way than, um, you know, again, that's part of the managerial problem, but even if like the company fails, you still don't get the assets at the end of the day. So it's a very strange thing. What does ownership mean, um, in the current, current climate? So that's why I, you know, don't just say that we're in this kind of capitalist superstructure. Um, I'd have to think about that a little bit more. That's cool. That's cool. Um, going back to what you were saying earlier about investments, uh, I was thinking like, is it, so is it bad to be rich is is or at least wanting to be rich that's that seems to be is would you say that's evil well i, I would like to make a distinction between someone who's wealthy and somebody who's rich and, and and maybe this is just pure semantics but maybe it'll be helpful um i think somebody that is wealthy has the means of production and somebody who is rich just has a lot of money or financial assets um you know, like stocks, bonds, you know, NFTs, whatever you're, you know, you're into these days. Um, and for for those people to want to be rich and they just have a whole bunch of mammon stored up in that way. Yeah, I think I think that's I just don't think that's a goal. I think a, the definition of a billionaire is somebody who's really bad at spending money, you know, and that's just not a cool person to be. You know, you're, you know, our goal is to be able to. Um, to spend their money really well. Now, if you just have ownership of the means of production, you have some real wealth uh, that you're working for it, and at the end of the year, you're, you're making a good bit of dough, then that, that's no problem. 
um, so long as you are taking care of everybody who's under your care. I mean, this is what St. Thomas, this is how he answers the question. He says, you know, is it, is it good to give um, so much is that you are, um, you're actually harming your, your state in life? And he answers no, which is perhaps surprising. You might want to think that he gives an answer that would look more like uh, or describe more somebody like St. Francis of Assisi who just gives everything and goes. And I'm obviously not, not saying that some people aren't called to that. We just call those people friars. We call those people monks, you know, um, uh, but we don't call them laity. You know, we don't call those we don't call that person a family man. Um, you know, that's uh, that's a different game. So uh, if you know, in, in depending upon who's under your care means that you're going to have to have a different amount of uh, money coming in each each year and everybody should have wealth. Everybody should have the means of production. Uh, that's just when God created the world, he didn't give it to some of us. He gave it to all of us. And um, not all of us in our current climate are are have the habits of being good owners, but we all need to be raised up into being good owners and then, um, and then, you know, be able to acquire productive property. And so there's nothing wrong with that. You know, we should be in a sense wealthy. Um, we should just, you know, ha have our wealth in order to uh, labor with it and to provide for all those who are under our care. You know, that's cool. Um, another question here from a friend of mine, Terry, he says, um, do economic and political labels serve to clarify or muddy the process by which their society is Christified? Oh, uh, do you have any idea what he means by that? <laughs> um, I guess maybe it's like, you know, people get like caught up in like, are you a, a leftist or are you right wing or are you a Democrat or a Republican? And, Okay. Do, does that just make it more difficult to be it's like no i'm a christian and like doing doing the christian thing uh yeah i suppose i suppose so i think even if we um none of those labels really capture what christ is all about you know so mm. it's, it's it's a little bit rough and i think people um part of our knowledge part of the way that we understand things is by building up to that new, so if there's a new topic, there's a new idea that you're trying to grasp. The only way that you're able to get there is by building up to it. You need to be able to understand one thing in order to understand um, another or a baseline concept before you can get to a higher concept. And um, but that's just kind of all of life. And, and so when we came out, <laughs> New Polity came out, and people are trying to say, "Wait, what? What are you? Are you conservatives? I can't tell." You say a little bunch of like left wing things, and. Uh, we just said, look, neither label fits. And mm. if you try and say, you know, give the reason why we're saying things like we, everybody should have productive property and, and then to try and fit us under a label of socialists, it's like, whoa, that's wrong. <laughs> that's yeah. really wrong. Um, but, but I, but I really understand that, um, that tendency because we, you know, try and understand new things through, through what we know. Um, but anyways, to your buddy, Terry, I would say, um, uh, yeah, just try and avoid those as much as possible for yourself. And when people label, try and label you and get confused, I'd say, just, you know, tell them, come along for the ride. We'll figure mm. out where, what we want to call it at the end. <laughs> yeah. Would you say, um, I, 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 a friend of mine uh, from years ago, uh, he, he said, um, he used to say, Jesus was the first socialist. 
And at the time, I didn't really know what socialism was, uh, so I just kind of like blew it off. But then uh, I was reading the Book of Acts, and it talks about the Christian community and how everyone sold all their land and possessions and gave the money to the apostles who then distributed it to those who were need. And that sounds to me like redistributionism, uh, which is kind of a socialist thing. Mm. I may have got mm-hmm. it completely wrong, but like, is is there a fine line between that and socialism, or and what's the distinction? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a, that's a you know that's a question that we all have to spend some time meditating on. Um, what the church has said subsequent to acts is uh, in clarification of, of, you know, that, that section that you're, you're referring to chapter four or five. I can't remember which one it is. Um, is this, is that there's a doctrine called the universal destination of all earthly goods. Um, St. John Paul II calls it a first principle of, of Catholic social doctrine. And it's just what I kind of mentioned a few moments ago, that when God made the world, he gave it to not just some of us, but to all of us. And um, and then you might ask the question is like, well, how does productive property uh, find its way into the tradition? Because it is in the tradition. And the answer is this. It's by work. This is what um, guys like Leo the 13th, Pius the 11th, John Paul the Second give to us as an answer is that by our labor we are participating in god's own labor and just as the universe has his divine mark over all of it so that part of the world begins to have our markings on it Um, labor or private possession is actually something that's more profoundly metaphysical uh, than it is legal um, within the tradition and so uh, but when you do own something you own it for the common good. You hold it for others. So why do I have a truck? Well, I have a truck not only because it's, you know, gets me to work every day, but because everybody always needs to borrow a truck so I can hand them the keys so that they can use it. Um, you know, when you buy something, you buy it not just for yourself in mind, but obviously, you know, a family man realizes that he buys it with his wife in mind, with his kids in mind. Um, and, you know, we try and get to the point where we're, we're starting to buy things um, with our neighbors in mind as much as we can. Um, and, uh, and that's, and that's, you know, that's that troubling relationship between capital labor, but they, the church's answer is that they really should always go together and that they do ground, you know, itself together. Uh, Fulton Sheen, the venerable Fulton Sheen, you know, said, um, everybody realizes that the farmer who has a horse not only has ownership of it, but he has a responsibility of caring for it. But we forget that the same principle of ownership applies to everything that we should be able to to have, hold, maintain, uh, and and uh, and uh, and hold for for others. And I think that's that's really the the key of what Acts is saying, and the key that the church is trying to communicate for us. Oh, well, thank you very much. Again, I have so many more questions. I'd love to talk to you for hours longer, but it's probably getting late over there in the States and I've got a family to attend to downstairs and after everything we've been talking to, talking about today, I should probably go attend to that. Uh, so I just I just want to thank you for st- spending time with us. Uh, um, is there any like any last thing you want to say to anyone who's listening uh, about new polity or how do we live as Catholics in the world? Oh, no, I do know that so many of these things are troubling and, you know, we've all gone through conversions for them um, to, to be able to understand them, to try and to work it out. 
you know, this is this, this is a tough thing to be. I find that the intellectual life is necessary. It provides us a roadmap um, almost so that we know which way to go. You have to take a left down Main Street, then take a right down Dock, you know, something like that. That's what the intellectual life does. So it makes so once you've kind of figured out the route, it's really easy to talk about the route. Or maybe in some cases, it makes it just a little bit easier to talk about the route. But it's really hard to live, and um, we're struggling to do that over here in Steubenville. And um, you know, by God's grace and by the uh, you know the sole help of the sacraments, we're we're trying to do it. And uh, I would say that the process of conversions does, in a sense, start with figuring out what what actually the tradition has taught me. You know, going back to that catechism again, um, but. You know, before reacting to this, even positively or negatively, because um, we've seen examples of this on both a lot at New Polity, is that, um, you know, grounded in prayer, you know, beg God to be able to see his face more clearly. Um, mm-hmm. Beg our lady to, to, to lift you up, uh, to, to be able to understand it. Because even if you are mad at our current culture and the post-Christian society, you know, if you're doing that outside of prayer, then what's the point? So, um, so I would just say like, if you're, if you're you're kind of pissed off at the way this conversation went, um, you know, spend some time praying. And if you like how it went, you know, spend some time praying, you know, it's, it's him that we're after at the end. Very good. Well, thank you very much for your time, Jacob. And thank you all for listening. And again, if you want to get more involved in what we're doing at Evangelion, check us out at evangelion.co.nz. Like, share, and subscribe this podcast and help us get this message out there so we can get more people like Jacob on the podcast and out there to everyone in New Zealand so that we can uh, proclaim the gospel to all that we know. Thank you. Stay curious. Stay Catholic. God bless.